They don't mess around in Singapore, by the way. Have you seen this? I, I sent this. This is uh, from Reddit. Every now and then, I'm finding interesting things on Reddit. Um, mm. So, so this is a, a, a this is a collection of three or four little video snippets, sort of TikToky kinds of things, um, from a, from an airline flight. I don't know if it's Singapore Airlines, but it's an airline. That, uh, it was a flight that was trying to land in Singapore. Okay, and what you hear on the video, and you can listen if you want, or and there's actually subtitles you can read it. But basically, if I can summarize it here, um, it has the uh, the captain coming on the intercom saying, basically, um, we have had to break off our approach to landing because the flight attendants tell me that there are people in the cabin who are not yet seated and buckled in. And it's against the law for us to land with anybody moving around in the cabin. So we're going to go around again. And in the meantime, and then he goes into the word for word rap that they do, you know, please be seated, get buckled up, you know, all right. Oh, oh, but in there somewhere, he said, he said, if we don't, if we can't land the second time around for this same reason, the police will get involved. Mm. All right. Um, So um, then it cuts to um, a shot out the window um, as they're taxiing uh, up to the terminal. And we hear the flight attendant saying, uh, when we arrive at the terminal, please do not get up from your seats because the local law enforcement authorities have told us that they need to come on board the aircraft. And uh, and then a few se- we see another clip of uh, of uh, uh, some sort of security individuals coming on board, walking down the aisle, chatting with someone down the aisle, and then and a few minutes later another another shot of someone out in the terminal in handcuffs. Um, and uh, so Were they in uh, handcuffs. I, it seemed to me it kind of wasn't you know it was like someone was just kind of waving their phone camera at the situation as they deplaned and walked by, but it appeared that somebody was uh, the person walking up the aisle in the airplane did not appear to be in handcuffs, but the person standing with the police officers in the terminal appeared to be detained, and uh, so yeah, Singapore don't mess around with Singapore I'm telling well, you, well. I've flown into Singapore. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a long ride for sure. And I'm sure they're restless. But oh, as, yeah. as you say, they don't mess around. You know, what What they didn't capture on that little TikTok clip was probably the next scene of them getting out the cane and whipping. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. As they are known to do in ever so clean and well-mannered Singapore. Yeah, no, I've never been to Singapore, but I've heard those stories. They're very strict. They're very, yeah. yeah don't you don't mess around in Singapore. Um, Leave your chewing gum at home, so to speak. Yeah, chewing right. gum is a right. Yes, right. Literally. Um, liter- oh, really? Chewing gum itself. I, I yeah. guess every now and then you hear a sad story about someone who who brings the wrong medication or whatever with them to Singapore, and they get jammed up for that. But uh, but yeah, chewing gum really. Well, yes, they don't want any sticky stuff under tables or winding up on sidewalks. Okay, well, there yeah, you go. yeah. Jeb, have you ever been to Singapore? Yeah, I've been to Singapore. Yeah, I thought um, you had. Um, I never had. A, I, I don't chew gum, so I never had a problem. <laughs> I never. I never thought about. Um, and I never really poked around in any stores or convenience uh, marts or anything like that, looking for chewing gum. That's interesting. Well, I think that would make you a good Singaporean. Don't even think about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what um, would make you a good Singaporean, but not, not having, I, not chewing gum. I, I tell people that Singapore is, is where I've had the best Chinese food ever. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, um, and um, China's where, where I've had the worst Chinese food. Well, yeah. Um, but now, really, uh, so are you a Chinese food, serious Chinese food person, or are you an American Chinese food person? What are we talking about here? Um, so did you not like Chinese Chinese food because it was real, and you'd rather have a poo-poo platter? Or? No, I... I um, quality. Quality. Quality of the ingredients. Yeah, the quality of the ingredients, yeah. Uh, I wasn't, you know, supposedly I was having, you know, in, in Shanghai once, I was supposedly having chicken and... And something I don't know. I couldn't tell what it. I could have been squirrel for all I could know. <laughs> yeah, it was something and something. Yeah, uh, right. yeah, some some small mammal. That part I got down. But other than that, I'm not sure what the fuck. Okay, like. all you look right. Look at the air there, and it's bad. And you know, it's clearly bad for people. I don't see how any living creature could grow up there and taste good. Yeah, there's that too. Well, there's absolutely that. Yeah, China's China's a mess. I mean, it's. It's, um, but we don't want uh, to speak too harshly of, of our friends and, and the people. Well, where, uh, well okay, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have any friends in China that I'm aware of, but uh, uh, there's always, you know. Uh, um, it has its challenges, certainly. I mean, clearly yeah. the pollution there is uh, yeah, oh, yeah. nothing the, the, I'm accustomed to. And, and the congestion and, and the uh, um, just. China's just in your face. At least the, the urban areas are, um, with with crowdedness and and uh, some I would guess some uh, some poverty. Um, I go ahead. I went with uh, the AIN team uh, yeah. several times, and we stopped. Uh, well, there was the fact that a couple of things. Of course, the government's reversal of a welcoming policy towards business aviation and private enterprise and a crackdown on the media. Mm -hmm. and, now, wait, uh, are we talking now about Singapore or China? China. Now. China. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. Thank Go you ahead. for clarifying. Yes. Uh, Shanghai, uh, where, where the trade show was held uh, in China. Yeah. And uh, the last time a, a photographer was kind of kept hanging and then the last minute never did get a visa cleared. Uh, I didn't go because there were issues. And then there was some harassment of, of I think, team members there in some way. So, uh, Well, that's unfortunate. That's yes. unfortunate. It's a good thing they didn't also make trouble on the airliner because then it would have been doubly in trouble. Anyways. Exactly. It's a good thing they fastened their seatbelt. Yeah, yes. that's right. That's right. All right. I well, rest. Sorry. All right. So um, keeping in mind, I'm, I'm in a Singaporean state of mind here. So everybody be on their best behavior on this episode. All right. Mm. I'm serious. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I have a little bamboo whip and I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> whip me, beat me, make me write bad checks. <laughs> Welcome, folks. Okay. Well, there's an episode title in there someplace. Uh, Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from beautiful downtown Dover, New Hampshire, uh, where uh, the leaves are all gone now and uh, 
and uh, it's getting chillier every day. And although we went through a historic series of 70 degree days in early November, which is just unheard of. Um, and so, um, how, you know, how could you have historic weather in New Hampshire? Yeah, well, believe me, when it's 70 degrees multiple days in early November, that is historic. So, anyways. Uh, I'll give you that. But Here in our virtual yeah. hair with uh, two of my very, very good friends, uh, one of those voices out there coming to you from uh, right, right around the corner from the legendary CBGB's Music Club is uh, James Winbrandt. Hi, James. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Jack. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. CBGB's isn't there anymore, is it? It's it's closed. No, it is not. It is a, a clothing store. It sort is of it, well, seriously. It's, it's a men's warehouse now. <laughs> that's <laughs> no. It is very much. It's a John Vavarmos, uh, I okay. believe, is how it's pronounced, and it's very much a pay-in to the CBGB's fashion ethos, but ah. at much higher prices. <laughs> Of yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now, I can get a, I can get a beaded vest and and wide flare bell bottoms. Yeah. You saying? could get a ripped t shirt for thousands of dollars. Okay? I've got <laughs> several already. <laughs> James, uh, no, all kidding aside. So CBGB's that for anybody who maybe is not familiar with it was it was truly a legendary music venue right back in the day. Oh. And, yeah, and, and you actually performed there. Am I right about that? Oh, many times. I I was one of the kind of my band was one of the regular bands, uh, but that's just Blondie, awesome. Yeah, okay. Talking Heads, Ramones were the bands that are associated with that television. Oh, Patty Smith group, and many, many others who came by there and uh, also played there frequently. A lot of great musicians, a, a very happening place. But it's, of course, like all when you get there it was large but a really a dive an incredibly divey place but uh -huh. that was part of what i guess a, was the allure yeah there's a cartoon that i love a, a, a cartoonist who was a who was legendary years and years ago i think he's passed away now gay i say gay and gahan wilson yes, um, yeah he had a very distinctive style and one of his cartoons that i always loved it showed um a group of of angels all right, standing just inside the pearly gates of heaven. Um, and uh, they were just standing there, but they were not like what you would expect in, in the way of angels. They they were wearing these, you know, robes, but they were kind of tattered and torn, and a couple of them had cigarette butts out of their lips. And the, and the pearly gates was this stone, stone wall gate with bricks missing and kind of cracks in it and whatnot. And, and, and the caption was one of the newcomers saying, somehow I thought the whole thing would be a lot classier. <laughs> and uh, I found that to be true in many, many situations yeah. in life. And it sounds like that was true of CBGB. So that was, it it, but was. you know, yeah. Anyways. And also here in our virtual hangar is uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. It's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. The, the weather is, has changed down here. Had a cold front come through yesterday, and it'll be in the 50s tonight here. No humidity. Burr. Uh, um, nice, clear skies. Um, had a fire going in the fireplace before I sat down with you folks. Uh -oh. no, not sure what I'll find when I get back to it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a nice day. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. What's going on in the world of aviation here? So, um, I, I, you know, I, this is a this is kind of a a, a breaking story right now. I, I the disclaimer I'm going to make here is that we're slowly I am slowly chipping away at a backlog of episodes, and so um, this episode will probably get posted about 
two weeks after we recorded. But today, as of today, which is what's today, November 17, um, a couple days ago, they uh, they launched the Artemis uh, space program, the uh, Orion spacecraft, launched out of uh, Cape Canaveral or whatever it is they call it these days, um, on an unmanned... Artemis. What did I say? Um, yeah, on a on a uh, on a flight to uh, an unmanned flight uh, test flight, if you will, to around the moon, and uh, and it is very very exciting. James, you put this on the list. Um, you think this be, has a broader um, um, interest than simply going to the moon? Well, I like to think so. That was one of the questions I had because I was there the first time around when we Earthlings uh, launched for the moon and arrived there. And it had a great deal of influence, I think, on uh, the younger generation in terms of their interest in aerospace and all things aviation, I think. Mm -hmm. And certainly that filtered down to general aviation. Uh, You know how esteemed astronauts and other spacefarers are, are held uh, by GA pilots and the community, and I'm wondering how it's viewed this time around. And there certainly are implications there. It's a very costly program, no doubt, but there's a lot of interesting elements, the fact that they're going to the uh, polar regions there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. looking for If they could find ice. some water on the moon, yeah. If they could find some water on the moon, then we even now we have the technology to turn that into rocket fuel. Yeah, and apparently they've discussed, they've, they've come to the conclusion that re- you know it's not like water like we think of, like you know lakes and ponds and 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 oceans. But apparently there's enough uh, uh, water ice in in various places that they think it's going to be useful. Apparently, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I agree, James. I think uh, going, I I too am old enough to have been, you know, a. a, a a child playing, paying attention to the Apollo program, and uh, oh yeah, was, me too. It was very exciting. It was yeah. very exciting. And yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing's for sure, yeah, we'll have better video this time around. <laughs> yeah, well, although we were we were bemoaning this, uh, I was talking on Twitter to a couple of other people who are interested, and we were commenting that we were a little disappointed. Like, like they, the, the issue we had was that SpaceX has spoiled us in terms of the kinds of onboard live, real-time video that they're showing from some of these launches. And we were expecting that from, from the Artemis launch, which, um, A, they weren't able to do it because they launched in the, at night in the dark, and so it was kind of harder to see it. But it appears and, – and they have apparently cammed up this uh, this, this uh, spacecraft. Apparently there's like 50 cameras yeah. scattered all over it. Um, but I don't know that I've seen very much video. There's been a few things, I think. I haven't but, seen uh, any, any- – live video or any spacecraft yeah. or video from the spacecraft i've seen the launch but other than that but yeah uh, the, um, one well, of the moments know, the, the solution of course is yeah. uh, um you know it's the old joke um we're going to go to the sun is is the next stop you know we've done the moon we're going to go to the sun well aren't you isn't it going to be hot well no we'll just go at night <laughs> Okay. <laughs> We're, yeah, all right. It's going to be that kind of an episode, huh? It's dad joke episode. Um, On the celestial points of view issue, did either of you happen to see the purposeful asteroid collision? Yes. I, yeah, I didn't see it. I was aware of it. Um, I yeah, that it. was and that was that was another success for NASA. That yeah. was amazing to me, just the speed at which suddenly 
It, it's the blossom effect they always talk about. If you're going to have a midair collision, just at the end, it will suddenly get huge yeah. out of being nothing. Yeah. And that's what it was. And just the the void between us and that view, and there it was just a few minutes later, I found that astonishing. Yeah. And again, sort of a compliment, a counter to Artemis, the 40 billion program thus far, where instead unmanned vehicles can get a job done. So a lot of interesting things going on, but I can see there are also a lot of things worth discussing. Yeah. One of the things I'm really looking forward to um, on this Artemis mission um, that's now, you know, it's in flight, it's on its way to the moon right now, um, is, uh, so although it's not going to land on the moon this time, it's going to uh, make a couple of, of orbits. It's, gonna do, it's got this that's funny shape. Yeah, but then it's, well, it's going to make a couple close passes. That's my point here, all right? It's going to make a couple close passes, and then it's going to go into this big orbit for about two weeks or something like that, and yep. then and then it's going to make another close pass and then return back mm. to the Earth. The first close pass, which apparently, I'm, I've been searching around for someone to tell me when, and it will have happened by the time people hear this episode, but um, what it, what they're going to do is that it, it's not simply, it's going to be truly a low pass. Apparently this this spacecraft is going to, going to pass 60 miles above 60 the moon's miles. surface. That's what I saw, yes. All right, and I just think that's going to create some, whether or not it's live video or recorded that we see later on, and it might be recorded we see later on because it may be around the backside. I but, would, uh, that's yeah. Who wouldn't love to see some of that? But uh, that's going to be a cool image yeah, of, uh, of this thing. Very cool image on the far yeah. side of the moon. So, that would be unbelievable. Hopefully, yeah. you're onto something, James, and that this is going to get people inspired about uh, uh, aviation and aeronautics, and uh, um, that that well, would be. It certainly worked for the Gemini and Apollo programs. Um, and yeah. I guess before the year's end, there is scheduled, uh, Jared Isaacson is uh, scheduled, I believe, to command another civilian orbital mission around the Earth, this one at uh, an orbital height altitude beyond any uh, of the manned space program to date, where he huh. will do uh, an extravehicular orbit. Uh, what do they call them? EVA activity, extravehicular activity. Wow. Okay. So that's well, uh, a lot of things going on. Space. A lot of stuff going on. In space. This uh, space travel, space exploration, whatnot. So very cool. Very cool. Um, sorry, folks. Another meanwhile back on Earth. Yeah. Right. Um, sorry, folks. Another video. Let me describe this to you, though. And you should look. You should look at the link in the show notes. Because this is a kind of a cute um, video. So this is uh, oh, uh, yeah. So I've this seen is a, this so much. Yeah. This is uh, so this is a standard shot. I've I've seen this view a million million hundreds of times on on the flights. Your window seat, looking out over the wing of the uh, jetliner. Um, but the difference is that right now there is a pigeon standing on the top surface of the wing, and the airplane's clearly just taxied onto the runway and starting to accelerate. And you're watching this at first, going, "What's going to happen here?" This is, and I really had this horrible horrific 
fake image that the bird was actually going to get sucked forward into the jet black, you know, by the jet intake. And I'm thinking, oh, please don't want. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I don't. And it didn't. The bird is just standing there, like like no big deal. And then suddenly the wind across the wind wing becomes sufficiently strong that the bird now the bird has not moved, not flapped its wings, not moved its feet. It just simply starts sliding back down towards the trailing edge of the wing and disappears out of sight. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, I guess, I don't know what to think here. I'm optimistic it opened its wings before hitting the runway. Uh, I, I, well, you would hope. I, I just hope it didn't get blasted by the, by the jet exhaust. Well, that's um, a whole other problem. I have you know? a couple yeah. of potential, you know, theories of what's going on here. I mean, yeah, well, tell us. I, I don't think the pigeon... Just kind of, oh, I happen to kind of land on a wing. I, I, one of two things. Either I believe we're watching some sort of pigeon competition surf style <laughs> and that off on one of the runway markers, you've got maybe five pigeons lined up ready uh-huh. to score. And this pigeon, we don't know. I can't tell if it's a he or a she, wiped out. They didn't, you know, yeah. usually I think... You know, we would see them hunker down and, you know, see the hair blowing back and all. And we'd see the beak flap around. And then it would, like, go tail over feather, whatever. Yeah. So, so back along uh, next to one of these taxiways, there's there's a group of pigeons. A couple of them got cigarettes in their ear. But, but the other ones, you know, there's a bunch of cash flying around, making their bets. And, and, all. and yeah. Sam and Sam on the wing is is what they're betting on. Is that's yeah. that's what you're saying? Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now well. there's another potential explanation here. Yeah. This is the way the pigeons get across the airport without getting picked off by a hawk. It's like, okay, uh, you know, American 347 is landing. I can get back home on the other end, you know. I won't. I don't have to wait for the for the bus. I can take the airplane, and I don't have to worry about you know the the hawk that's out here patrolling for rats and pigeons to pick me off. But but this is why we have bird strikes near airports. Because mm. they're, they're all they're all participating in competitions. Is exactly. What you're exactly. It's you're like don't exactly. surf the subway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, if you were from New York, that's a, a whole campaign because kids I, would get up and stand on the roofs of subway cars, believe it or not. Yeah. I, I got to wonder if the pigeon was thinking, this worked a lot differently for William Shatner's friend out of the wing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like, I'll be fine. I've seen this happen. I saw this on, on, a, on, a, I saw on, this a, on the movie. Yeah. On Twilight yeah. Zone, yeah. right? You know, so anyways, yeah. all right. It's cute. It's adorable. Yeah. We, we, we wish the bird good luck. We hope it all turned out for, okay. And that he's got like a whole bunch of thumbs ups or 10, 10, oh, 10 oh, it's, you know, it's all, it's all perfect for, tens. It's all for pigeon Instagram. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Pigeon, pigeon Instagram. Pigeon TikTok. Yeah, there we go. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, James, do you really think they're going to rebuild the uh, Antonov uh, uh, 225? Uh, that's what the news says. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, what's the name of the ship? It's Maria Dream. But yes. Uh, they say it's going to cost about 500 million euros, which at today's exchange rate is $500 million. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, that's the plan. Yeah. You know, as we know, about 30% of it 
apparently remains. How uh, much? I'm sorry. Thirty percent of the original. Oh really? So I that, saw pictures that. I saw pictures that made it look like it was a pretty much total loss. But uh, well, isn't, um, wasn't there another another fuselage that was under some degree of construction? And yeah, James, had you heard that? Yeah. Well, I, I this was the only completed one, and that's right. often the point. So that would kind of say, well, then there must be an uncompleted one. Right. On ergo, something is out there they could use. Good yeah. point. Yeah. In the unlikely event that some of our listeners aren't familiar with what we're talking about here, this is the Antonov uh, uh, 225, a Ukrainian-built um, uh, cargo aircraft, uh, the largest aircraft in the world, um, that was destroyed in the first couple days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And uh, very, very sad, um, mm-hmm. uh, but keeping it in perspective, not the, not really there were a lot of tragic things. That, yeah, yeah, there were a lot of tragic, you know, terrible things that have happened in that country over the last year. But uh, but it did did make us sad. And uh, um, I remember, yeah, Jeb, I heard a story as well early on. They talked about the fact that although this is the only one that was completed, they had begun building a, one or two others at least, um, and for various reasons didn't complete the second, third, and third and whatever ones. But that the parts. You know, it still exists. The incompleted, right. uncompleted right. Um, aircraft exist, and they kind of give them a, a starting point for 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 building a new one. So uh, it would be great. I think I think Ukraine's got a, a whole bunch of other more important things on their on their uh, on their mind these days. But uh, but when the time comes, um, restoring this bit of uh, Ukrainian um, awesomeness will, will be a good thing. Yeah, I think. Well, the next time we need a plane load of of. Uh... KN95 KN95 masks or, or, or something, you know, yeah. um, it'll come in handy. Yeah, yeah, there we go. I'm trying to think if we've ever seen this aircraft or saw if we ever saw this aircraft at Oshkosh. Did we? I, I want to say we did, but I'm not sure. Um, it's a shame I, there's not some device we Yeah, have. I know. Okay. <laughs> at, at eBase, they had it one year. Uh huh. And, it, you know, it's massive. And, of course, it's, it's, uh, typically will take one huge item aboard and they have to design, typically do design all sorts of special rigging to load these one-off loads. And it's quite remarkable. And, and of course, the scale, I mean, it, the scale, it, it's hard to tell because everything's pretty big. And, and you look at that and you say, you know, am I close? Am I far away uh, but it's inescapable how wide the span of the wings when you see that there's three engines strapped on each on side. The, yeah. On each side. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, quite yeah. an airplane. Quite an airplane. You know, after after Ukraine, you know, figures everything else out and gets kind of things back in order. I hope that this is uh, on the list somewhere to to restore this or to make another one of these. That would be cool. That would be great. Yeah. And if they. To your point, bring it around, show it off. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, as as you kind of alluded to, it's probably kept pretty busy because it's, you know, it's the only one that can do what it does. And so mm-hmm. it's, it, it was probably kept pretty busy. Um, it was just bad luck that it was in Ukraine at, at the time, probably. But uh, anyways, okay. Yeah, I'm uh, looking around. I don't see, I don't see any evidence of, of the 225 being at Oshkosh. But uh, okay. um, yeah. it does, there was a 124. Um, which is a smaller um, transport mm-hmm. uh, that was apparently at Oshkosh one year. I, I can't tell you when. I, I'm just getting started peeling the onion. 
Okay. Well, I saw an find... Antonov yeah. in Wichita. I don't know which model it was, uh-huh. but I, I haven't been to Wichita that many times, and I, I couldn't tell you exactly when, but I, I saw one there. Yeah. Now, um, the, the Antonov is also the one, is it Antonov that made the somewhat legendary biplane? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 did I ever tell you this story? Back when I, back when I, in my California days, um, I loved on Saturday or whatever day to go wandering. This is back when you could probably, I don't know if you can still do this anymore, but wandering the, uh, the ramps of various airports in the area. And, uh, and I was walking up and down the rows of the airport at Livermore, California one day. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just kind of walking along and, and some of the hangar doors are open. So you kind of peek in and, and I come up, coming up to one of them and I'm noticing there's a fairly large airplane in this, uh, in this hangar. And I, and I kind of get closer and it's kind it's only, the doors only open partway. So it's a little bit dark in there, but I'm, I'm looking in and I'm suddenly realizing this is like a Mongo big biplane, uh, big oh. cabin cabin you know style uh biplane uh and uh um and i was just and i and i was pretty sure that it was an uh, i i at the time i was somewhat familiar with the mod an i want to say an2 it's it's an an2 yes the big yeah. biplane yeah. yeah and uh and so i'm standing at the opening of the door of course I don't, i'm not going to wander in uninvited and i'm standing at the opening kind of looking at the thing and suddenly i see somebody moving around in the in the hangar and, and i just kind of say hi and comment that this is impressive and he says he says come on inside take get up close take a look at it and i did and uh um got around got a chance to walk around it and he said you want you want to go inside right? i said yeah and so i uh, you know that he I, I don't i can't remember if he had to open the door if the door was already open but i climbed up inside and kind of walked up to the I didn't actually get in the pilot seats, but I kind of stood at the entryway to the, to the flight deck and, uh, very, very cool. But, uh, yeah, those Antonov people made some, make some good airplanes. Um, what was the interior, uh, like, Oh, it was, it was such a long time ago. I don't have a very clear memory of it. I, my recollection is that it was not like crazy restored, but it wasn't a wreck either. Um, my, my, my recollection is that it was an airworthy AN2. Um, and, uh, yeah. So there was someone, someone in Cuba stole one and flew it to, um, Yes, Marathon, one of one of the other keys, maybe maybe Miami near Miami. Right, Homestead, right. As a matter of fact, James, when you mentioned that you had an Antonov story you wanted to put on the list, I thought that's the one you were referring oh, to. No, but I I did spend uh, ten days flying around Cuba, and I saw many of them, and they were yeah. used both for transport and also for uh, mosquito crop like spraying mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. uh, they, the interiors of those were kind of beat up. And I can't, yeah. you one up me. I never went in one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my recollection is that it wasn't like highly restored. It was just mm-hmm. like, you know, it was just a everyday working airplane or something. I like that. don't think that there is a whole lot to restore it to, probably being <laughs> a yeah. Soviet kind of vehicle. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, yeah, it's utilitarian airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. All right. Anyways, uh, moving on here, um, James. You once another story you asked to put on the list here. You seem to find interesting is this uh, portable headset mounted uh, augmented reality thing. What, what's why do you find this interesting? Uh, well, the promise of the technology that if one indeed uh, here it's a it's kind of. Uh, a display of its own, but think of that, something that would 
go right on uh, a pair of your sunglasses or on mm -hmm. your headset that out of the corner of your eye here it's all giving you a poor man's not so poor in this case but giving you a HUD without having the whole installation mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's a very intriguing possibility of a benefit there for pilots were this to at some point be made uh, available at a more affordable price point than mm -hmm. what it is now. Yeah, I've I've been saying for years now that that's going to be the next hot in cockpit technology. Uh, and we've got head up displays in cars now. Right. It's, it's mm -hmm. not it's not um, uh, disruptive technology by any stretch. Uh, I mean, it certainly exists now. There's there's all kinds of bells and whistles, and there's there's certified versus non-certified, and there's all kinds of uh, options for that. But um, we're going to start seeing a lot of that, I think, in cockpits in the near future. Yeah, yeah, and I think if nothing else, this thing that James is so. By the way, this is uh, let's see now from Vision Products. Apparently, it's called a Pilot Vision. Uh, yes, one head, word. Headset-mounted augmented reality display, and uh, um, this was at uh, uh, NBA 2020. Jeb, you, Jeb, you didn't probably get a chance to see much. I, of I didn't show. see it. I, I remember James saying something about it while we were both there. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, Maybe maybe I did see it. It just you know the thing I think is particularly interesting about these kinds of things is that whether or not this particular device becomes successful, the the fact that they are experimenting with the software with how people use uh -huh. them, all right, uh -huh. is is a it, it, if nothing else, this is a prototype for the for the usability of them because I think we're within just a few years of some very sophisticated, um, you know, heads up, glasses kind of things, you know, where where a computer will instead of having a display that sits on your desk you wear a special a pair of special glasses and and see the display that way and uh, and 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 but once those kinds of devices arrive the, it will be good that companies like this uh, vision products have been experimenting with how to take advantage of them mm -hmm. so so yeah cool stuff jeb i'm yeah. sorry did i I'm, or james go ahead no. james well one thing Back to you, Jack, because you are a tech guy and you do a lot of work with Apple. And didn't they have a, a system that was essentially sort of a monocular, you know, flip down that did not do that well? And and of course, no, no, you're thinking of the Google Glasses. I think uh, Google Glass. They had a pro they had a a, a, a a product, a device about five ish years ago, ten. No, it wasn't ten. Maybe more than five. Um, that a lot of people loved, and a handful of people still use. Um, um, but they, they didn't kind of pan out, and so they, they discontinued it. Um, what you may also be thinking of, the um, it's been in the rumor mill, and I have no inside information. I don't know anything more than anybody else knows. But, um, but uh, the rumor mill is that – and it's – kind of a, a accepted conventional wisdom now that Apple is working on some sort of of AR glasses you know headset your iPhones kind of thing um, and the, and the current buzz is that they're going to actually announce it next next year sometime um, well now that they can hire some help from laid off from Meta yeah, and, and Twitter, and Twitter, and Twitter, and, Twitter, yeah. and Amazon, uh, <laughs> and yeah, right. I know it's it's a rough time in, uh, in the tech oh, industry right now. Yeah. So uh, yes, and and you know clearly this has more immediate application for a pilot than just saying somebody, oh, you know, put this on, you'll figure out some way you can make use of it. Uh, an interesting thing 
about, among other things, uh, because on this particular podcast, it's something like you can't see it at home, but what we're looking at. And this little uh, photograph that we have here of the display kind of distorts the size it makes the monocular display look like about the size of an iPhone, when actually it is not. It is smaller than the frame of, oh, okay. of, an, that... of uh, an, you know, a single frame of a pair of eyeglasses. And I guess it was sort of done, the photo, to emphasize the size. And I have to, interestingly, uh, as an insider thing between Jab and and you and I, Jack, this photo was taken by Mariano Rivera, oh, who we worked I... with uh, at Air Venture many times. He shot many, yes. uh, mm-hmm. a lot of photos for uh, EAA today. And he, he came there with the uh, AI as part of the AIN crew. And we got together. I saw Jeb, of course, at NBAA. Mm-hmm. We got to hang out together. Uh, went out to dinner and afterwards uh, hung out the pool uh, with some of the AIN crew. And there is Mariano, and who also should be there. But if you remember, Andrew, the other photographer from EAA that we worked with on occasion. Yeah, I, I he, think I do remember. I think I, yeah, he, I'm embarrassed that I didn't notice this photo byline, the photo credit myself. That's, yeah, Mariano did that. Yeah. yeah excuse me, Mariano Rosales. I'm sorry, I yeah. said, he's so. Ah, uh, yes. It was by Mariano Rosales. Uh, and uh, so it was sort of like, in a way, old home week. I know. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm jealous. I'm glad you guys yeah, got a chance had. to. We had a good, we had a good yeah. evening. I'm glad you guys had a chance to hang out. That sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, what's next here? I thought and I had it. What's next oh, first yeah. is mentioning that, the cost, since oh, yeah, never okay. really disclosed it. Of this particular delay, it's 27000 but you. Oh, yikes. Okay. <laughs> But uh, the first one has been bought by the U.S. Navy. They're experimenting with it. There are many ways it could be the price could come way down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Think and, of uh, how many rewards points you'll get. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. All right. All right. Um, uh, okay. How do we transition into this? Uh, this is another uh, uh, relatively new story that's going to be much more aged by the time people hear this. This terrible, terrible tragedy at the Texas Air Show. Mm. Um, there, there really isn't much that that we can say about it because it's really early and 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 the investigation has only just begun. But uh, I, I I think all three of us would agree that we want to send our condolences to everybody involved at this terrible tragedy um, where the uh, P sixty three. What's it called? A Cobra? King Cobra. King Cobra. Um, um, I don't know if it's a fighter or a bomber, attack it's aircraft. A fighter. Fighter. Fighter bomber. Um, colli- World War II. Collided with a uh, B-17 um, in the, in the uh, what apparently was the Warbird Showcase um, at this air show. And, uh, and uh, all six people on both airplanes um, were killed. Uh, terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, made, made more more... I don't know how to more what, but made more something by the fact that there are a great many video angles mm. showing this thing. Um, everybody had their cameras up on this on these flybys, and uh, and and we've we've seen it. Which you know, I mean, if there's I don't know, I was going to say the good news. It's not good news, but it, no it will thing. help yeah. the investigation that there are is so much visual video evidence of what yeah. happened, yeah. and. Uh, um, 
you know, hopefully some lessons will be learned um, that that will make things safer at the cost of these people's lives. It's very sad. Some some outlets have already done video analysis. Once again, we sol- solve the mystery. Yeah, we talked about this. I think after the Watsonville midair about how yeah. uh, I think Jeb and I are, and I don't know how you feel about this, James, but uh, and Jeb, forgive me for speaking for you, but we were a little bit dismayed at how quickly various media outlets are doing analyses of these crashes uh, long before anybody really knows what's going on and it's an accurate statement here unfortunate but i have to say not unexpected given the world we live in and the media culture and people want to speculate where does informed speculation begin and uninformed speculation uh you know take up about uh, five uh, minutes in is my rule of thumb. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Anyways, our a terrible tragedy, and and uh, we do all hope lessons are learned. We yeah. hope that the public still has a chance to see these wonderful machines in operation. Well, that's that's the other thing too is is obviously losing losing uh, human life is is something we want to avoid at all costs. Uh, and obviously that we didn't we weren't able to in this instance um, there's also the loss of the airframes yeah yeah uh, these... there's also the loss of the uh, goodwill um, that air shows like this generate mm-hmm. um, you don't want people going home traumatized while having just seen six people die in a fiery uh, airplane crash yeah um, so, I mean, there's all kinds of things like that, that, that go through your mind. Yeah. Um, there's going to be more and more talk every time this happens and it can, you know, doggone it, it keeps happening. Um, every time something like this happens, there's going to be more and more talk about, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't be flying these things like this. Maybe we should just be parking them or maybe we should just fly them more gently or, or something like that. I, Somebody made the point, and I don't remember who it was, and, and uh, I'm not necessarily aligning myself with his or her comments, but uh, uh, somebody made the point that, you know, maybe uh, doing these these um, pyrotechnic-laced uh, World War II flybys and demonstrations isn't really the way we should be remembering some of this. And I tend to subscribe to that theory. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, you know, we'll see what, what, if anything, changes after this. You know, eventually we're going to run out of B-17. Sad but true, yeah. And we're probably getting really close to running out of P-63. Uh, apparently, yeah. There, I read one story that described that them as being even more rare, I think, was, oh, the, yeah. quote, was the line. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. anyways, all right. Anyways, like I said, our condolences to everyone involved, both the, uh, obviously, the, the families of the uh, folks on board um, and also the people who had to witness this. It's very sad. Very sad. What's next here? Let's see. Um, so this is a this is this is the oops of the week. I just think this is, this story amuses me for some strange reason. So apparently, when you do maintenance on the propellers of of a C one thirty or Hercules, I believe that's the aircraft that we're talking yes. about here. Yes. Um, yes. So apparently, when you do maintenance on these propeller blades, one of the ways that you sort of document the fact that they were inspected is that you take and I've got to figure the military has a very fancy version. All right, but it's basically one of those little vibrating pens and they it, they they scratch they inscribe some sort of i don't know what a date or a serial number or some sort of identifying mark on the blade so that 
they know that this one was, and, uh, and I, it probably cross-references a log entry or something like that. All right? So they do this on the blades. What they've suddenly discovered is that these, these inscriptions that are scratched onto the propellers were actually causing cracks in the propeller blades. It's like... Oops, that's that wasn't what we were going for. Oh, um, yeah. This is a story from Avweb. Maintenance caused cracks. Ground hercs. The Air Force has grounded 116 C-130Hs, more than 20 percent of the fleet, after it was determined that inscriptions scratched in the propellers, documenting inspections for cracks, actually caused cracks. Yeah. Okay. This says an electric arc pin. Ooh. Well, like I, I said, don't know I with that. I don't know what that is, but I, it sounds like... But I want um, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want one, too. I want a big one. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it sounds like um, it's not just an Etch-A-Sketch kind of thing. Yeah, it's not the uh, little vibrating not, thing that yeah, we can yeah. you can buy in the hardware store. Yeah, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, oops. They uh, Whatever happened to just using a label? Given, well, you know? Uh, given you know, I was thinking about that. Yeah, James? I'm just thinking, you know, there is so much attention now in the manufacturing space to uh, CNC machining and clean blades and blisks where you don't even want the seam. This is the most important airfoil on the aircraft. Why would you want anyway, even if it's a, a small, if it's legible, it's doing something to airflow, I figure, but what? But I'm not an engineer. It just seems a yeah. bad idea from beginning to end. Oh, it, if if this is if electric arc pin strikes me as something akin to uh, arc welding, and and if if that's what they're really doing here, um, is is taking the device and um, either laying more material on the on the component on the propeller blade, or somehow disturbing and, and uh, reconfiguring that material yeah i can certainly see where they're setting setting things up to to crack vibrating uh, out of balance all kinds of things they're they're they're, they're re-tempering if if this is what it, if this process is what i think it is they're basically re-tempering an aluminum alloy uh, that may or may not want to be retempered. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I just, that, that's so obvious, though, that I can't imagine that they I, didn't I think about that and rule it out. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, but it's, you know, regardless, whatever well, it is. You know, the, the, the propeller blade manufacturers probably, yeah, nodding and winking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go right ahead. Use that on the, our propeller blade. <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, there, there should not be a problem. If there is, we'll fix it. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you new blades. We'll sell you more. We'll sell you more blades. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about this or the technology or, or anything like that. But I can generally tell you uh, from personal experience, you know, I've not had a problem like this, but uh, anytime you start messing with a, with a propeller blade, um, whether it's, you know, a, a crack or, a, or a, you know, a ding or something like that, you have to be very careful because, you know, I, for one, probably would get very fatigued if you were turning me around 2700 times a minute mm -hmm. and, and subjecting me to all kinds of, of uh, other stresses in the bargain. Um, so I, I tend to try to be a little bit careful and, and uh, these are protective of my propeller blades. Go ahead, James. These are individual blades. There's 16 of them on a hurt. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. go around yeah. having to do 
it just seems a bad use of of person power of maintenance time that there should be some other way of like recording it with Uh something that is done with something visually that picks it up not you know Uh some tagged somehow so yeah, I, I it should not be rocket science to develop I some think, lightweight, yeah. self-adhesive label that you can put on the back side of the blade or something that's not going to uh, um, cause any metallurgical damage or, or etching or, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Call it a day. I don't know. Yeah. I got to figure it. So we must have a listener out there somewhere who knows more about this than we well, probably do. But, I, well, I think I think half the universe. Well, knows yeah. More okay. About this let's, than, all right, let me let me put it. There might be some. There must be someone out there who actually knows this stuff and can tell us what, exactly why this was why they thought this was a good idea or or whether, in fact, they should have known it was a bad idea. Uh, let us know. Send us an email to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. And, uh, um, and uh, you know, assuming it makes us, well, I don't know. Yeah, we'll read it. I, I promise you. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll read, read it. 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 No, no, I mean, we'll, read it. Yeah. Well, we'll read it on the episode. We'll read it on the podcast. So, anyways, okay. Um, changing, changing gears yet again. Um, so, uh, s- sadly, we've lost another aviation ge- uh, legend. Mm. Um, th- uh, so, e- whether or not you're a helicopter person, you certainly are familiar with the small um, uh, helicopters that are very, very common uh, these days. The so-called R44s is the is the four seat model, and you don't see as many R22s, a two seat model, but uh, um, they're they're very, very common everywhere There's you go. There's also an R66. Is there a 66 now? Yeah, yeah it's tur- turbine power. Yeah. Yeah. The R the R stands for Robinson, and Robinson comes from the name Frank Robinson, who founded this company, and I think probably did the original designs. Um, yeah. And uh, who Frank Robinson passed away uh, this past week at age ninety two. Um, and uh, we just kind of want to send our condolences that way too, and pay our respects to uh, to uh, someone who really made a huge difference um, um, in 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 the area of rotorcraft and, and in Absolutely. aviation in yeah. general. Um, yeah. You know, that's uh, quite an accomplishment for these things to be as as popular and as common and as apparently uh, reliable as they are. You see them; they're not just you know like. Although we have a buddy, uh, uh, Turbo Turbo uh, Turbo Eddie um, owns a, a Robinson Forty Four um, that I got a chance to get a ride in one time. It was very cool, uh, and uh, um, and I think he he owns it mostly for just personal transportation and recreation and that kind of thing. But a lot of them are working aircraft. Um, it's yes. a it's a very very uh, uh, effective uh, working aircraft for all kinds of things. I, I know that, for example, and this is just off the top of my head. I know ranchers use them for herding animals. I know that they're used for uh, for um power line inspection pipeline inspection um i have a twitter friend um who uh uses hers to uh to dry cherry trees i believe it is mm-hmm. um and uh um which i've seen videos of that now that's an interesting process he hover right over the tops of these orchards um in order to in order to blow the water off of the uh, off of the uh, the i think it's cherries um, yeah, I think it is too. Yeah, so um, a very, very cool aircraft, a family of aircraft, and uh, a, a legendary designer and, and, and namesake of the company, um, Frank Robinson. Um, um, condolences to his family. He had retired in in 2010, just as the R66 uh, was on the cusp and was uh, assured of certification. Their the their turbine model is mm-hmm. done fabulously, and you know one of the things was they were always a much lower cost but high performance still alternative to anything else available yeah yeah Yeah. 
Finally, uh, I think, Jeb, you put this on. Something about the pilot pilot shortage may not be wrapping up anytime soon. What's this story all about? Oh, that's a great question. Let me look at this real quick. This is from AIN Online. The headline says, uh, uh, pilot certificates increase, but shortfall grows. Um, Yeah, this is saying basically that... um, no matter how quickly we, we try to backfill the, the, the new pilot pipeline, uh, the retirements and other attrition is, is basically keeping up. So um, we, we still have a deficit over the long term um, of, of um, new hire pilots or, or just pilots generally to fly 121 to fly uh, for the airlines. Um I, you know, I throw some numbers here. This is this is from an, an analyst uh, called Jeffries, um, mm. which is a, obviously a company, not an individual. Um, but uh, uh, according to the, the lead graph here, and this is from uh, our good friend Carrie Lynch at AIN, um, the industry is undersupplied by six percent, or by eight thousand pilots this year, given the early retirements during the pandemic. Um, the analyst believes this will increase to a 12% shortage or 18,000 pilots by 2025 and to 15% or 23,000 pilots by 2030. Um, I, I don't know what the ta- one thing I, I, I see out there these days is uh, I see the, I see the number 8,000 being tossed around and I see that number, you know, f- for the current year, I see that being um, two things. One is the number of pilots that the, the industry expects to produce this year. Um, I've, at least I've seen that number. I don't know what the current number is. Uh, and, you know, that could be just keeping pace uh, and not really adding anything to the total. Um, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm still of, have been for a long time of the opinion that uh, uh, the airline industry is so cyclical and, and associated industries are so cyclical that uh, putting all your eggs in, in trying to be a, a front office crewman on an airliner is is um, risky. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But you, uh, we'll see. You believe it could go back to uh, to the days when it's suddenly a mass lay and there'd be you know, again, uh, a well, downturn. Well, the, the next, the next financial up. I mean, we saw all kinds of mayhem with the pandemic a couple of years ago, and the the next financial downturn, uh, which, depending on who you believe, may or may not be coming. Um, there's there's all that going on um, down the road. Wink, wink, nod, nod. There's always um, the the threat of automation. Uh, uh, working in some fashion to limit the need for pilots. Um, you know, it could go a lot of different ways. Um, you know, if I were, if I were advising a, you know, a teenager or something, you know, if they wanted to get into aviation, uh, I'd suggest they start learning a lot about automated systems and how to f- repair them, how to design them. I wouldn't necessarily suggest they learn how to fly. Hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. The okay. shortage is, clearly existent in business aviation where providers have been unable to crew 
aircraft for their fleets where new mm -hmm. owners have great difficulty finding crews where you're getting new aircraft coming online that really have training hasn't even begun so it's right. a, a real issue and uh there's any number of ways of doing it you know ways to look at it and what can be done how to solve it it has to you know clear maintenance providers are part of the issue too of a short staffing throughout aviation uh and there has been attention also on the the component that women and uh, minorities and diverse populations don't have all the opportunities. And that's, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, go ahead. And I, I just noted that at the Bombardier safety stand down the first day, AIN had an article about a, a, uh, a presentation Tony Kern made, uh, the CEO of Convergent Technologies, and he he slammed uh, the industry for its sexual harassment problems. Uh, yeah, as well they should. You know, he said, quote, uh, the problem is we have an industry that preys on women, <laughs> which wow. is opening. Yeah, so, that's not, not untrue. No. It's, not many people are saying it that frankly. Exactly. And uh, I've had some women say, finally, somebody's calling it like it is. Uh, yeah, we can only hope because it again it, it's a tragedy. It's, a, it's such a waste, uh, uh, and and uh, we need everybody on all hands on deck. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, on that lovely note, um, it's, it's uh, time to stick a fork in this one. Um, I think we're done. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's always great uh, getting together with you. James, thanks for taking some time to uh, join us here. I'm trying to come up with a metaphor. How's this one? Jeb, what do you think? We're going to say that uh, James was in the jump seat this week. Uh, it's like... Ah. In the jump seat. Well, you see what I'm saying? It's like you yeah, and me, I, I, you and I, me I are in the left and right seat up front, and then I, I get it. Yeah, I get it. But this is this is a virtual hangar. This is not an airplane uh, cockpit. Okay, all right. See, you would you would okay. you would or you would in, inject reality into my metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the put him in the hot seat. Put him in the jump seat. Yeah. I, you know, put him in. I, uh, I I'm uh, like the guy who wandered into the AN2 hangar. And you right, offered right, that yeah, I could come yeah. and take a look inside and even get in the aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's a story that you'll tell for years to come. Right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 James is in the, the ratty couch in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. The AN2. Yeah. There you yeah. go. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That's James Winbrandt. James is an instrument-rated private pilot. He owns and flies his own Mooney. Uh, he, he is the author and singer of the beloved song, Rock Your Wings. Like I said earlier, he's performed at the legendary CBGB's Music Club, and he's the author of a legendary book about dentistry. Um, more seriously, James is an author and aviation journalist. Some of the publications you can read his stuff in are Aviation International News, Business Jet Traveler Magazine, and he reports on aviation and aerospace for the NASDAQ.com website. 
I'm Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a regular contributor to other aviation publications. Online, you can find Jeb's work at aviationsafetymagazine.com. His magazine is on Twitter as avsafetymag. You can also find him his work at aea.net, abweb.com, and on Twitter, he is Burnside J. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places with the all-one-word username Jack Hodgson. For example, Twitter, Mastodon, YouTube, Patreon, and others. You can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the Books section. And you can sign up for my, uh, my uh, Around the Field email newsletter at aroundthefield.net. Thank you, folks, for taking time to, to listen to us today. Uh, if possible, please become a supporter of this podcast at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. Or you can make a PayPal tip jar donation care of the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And we'd love to hear from you, so you can use that same email address, podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com, to send us your comments and questions. So anyways, that's enough talking. Let's go flying. And remember, no matter what else happens, fly the airplane.